it's a day to get your fingers warmed up. And we'll be good to go. Proverbs 4. Now, if certain people are right, this is our last Sunday together. Um, so I don't, apparently y'all are living under the Christian rock. Let me fill you in. Um, the world is supposed to end on May 21st, uh, Saturday. We got a cheer. Okay. Woo! It's been a good run. Uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed our time together. Um, I decided I wanted to wear a tie before her time was up. <laughs> I'm getting my bucket list is getting checked off. Uh, and actually, I'm working on a deal to sell the building tomorrow. Take a quick trip uh, before the week is up. Um, so yeah, I don't, so I don't know if you follow this at all. Maybe not. Um, but there's a real, a real older gentleman. Uh, who has apparently a very popular radio show. I uh, made a prediction, did some pseudo-math uh, from Daniel and other parts of the Bible, and came up with the world's going to end on May 21st. And actually what's going to happen on May 21st is God's people will be raptured, will be sucked up uh, away from the earth, and then tribulation will begin. Um, so, if we see you here next Sunday, <laughs> it's not good news for you. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I should bet my job that the world's not going to end. Uh, Saturday, because it's a win-win. I mean, if it does, hopefully I won't be here. Um, but if it doesn't, then I'll, I'll be right. Uh, so he made this prediction, and I don't know if you followed it, but it's they've actually got like some big financial backing behind it. Because they've got billboards across the nation. They're painting park benches. I know you've seen this out there. Um, and so they've got a little core group, too, going around proselytizing you know, the end of the world. Uh, and I was just reading this morning about a, a young lady who is an Army veteran um, out of the military. And she quit her job and is... Uh, going overseas to spread the word and things like that. And children have been taken out of school and all kinds of things like this. And this is something, if you've watched history, this is something that's happened before. happens a lot, um, multiple times. It's just a matter of how popular it actually gets before it happens, uh, before the date comes. Um, and what happens is May 22nd will come, uh, and then you have to start backpedaling a little bit and, and start finding your way out. Um, but what happens is people have no job, uh, and people, children are out of school, uh, and then certain people have huge emotional voids left from the faith that they, I mean, sincere faith they put in God and in a teacher of the word of God uh, who gave them a, a prediction, a prophecy. Um, and, and really this crystallizes for me why we're doing this series, Knowing God's Will. Because if you don't have a biblical concept of what God and how God communicates to you and I, what he expects us to do in terms of finding out what he wants us to do, what his will is for our life, for our choices, then one, it lands you in a world of confusion and frustration, or two, it's not a long road to making really immature decisions um, that have the potential to really hurt you, you or the people around you, whether it's your children or family or, or things like that. Um, so the scriptures are clear that God very much cares about the choices that we make. The scriptures are clear um, that you and I will one day stand before God and give an account for the, the decisions we made, for the things we did in our life. Um, and so that's throughout the scriptures. Even with grace alone, faith alone, Paul would say, every one of us before the throne of God has to say, this is how we spend our lives. And Paul says, some of us might be saved as though through fire. I mean, there's still the grace, there's still the faith, but at one point you have to fess up to the choices that you made to how you lived your life. And the scriptures are, I think, not confusing or hidden about what God expects from us about what he wants from us. And so we're doing this series on, on knowing his will. Our lives aren't accidents. We're not given 40, 50 years to waste. Um, but we're given a purpose. Uh, God has expectations for us. And he wants to do certain things through us. Um, so that's the question that we've been attacking over the past couple of weeks. Um, to, to review a little bit and get first things first. 
Um, we've seen that God has graciously revealed His will for our lives um, throughout the Scriptures. And so, as you walk through the Scriptures, and just under 30 times that you see the phrase, will of God, or God's will, His desire for your life, uh, you see it in one of two contexts, in His sovereign will, so His hidden secret plan that always happens, every one of us is in His sovereign will, He's never surprised, He's never confused, He never goes to plan B. Every single one of our decisions within His master chess playing plan, his sovereign will, or in his moral will, which is what he has revealed to us. And now this is where we have the choice. We can obey or not obey. God comes to us and he doesn't give us suggestions. He gives us commands. He says, I'm God. And so our, uh, our um, response to that should be obedience. It should be obedience. And, and his commands, his, his revealed will is, is more about the type of person that we are. We, we saw that the past couple of weeks. It's not as much about um, the car that we drive or the job that we take or the clothes that we wear or even what college we go to, decisions like that. It's about the kind of person we are. It's about how we love him, how we love the people around us. And then from that character, from that foundation of a, a heart shaped like his, right actions flow from that. And now we introduced an important concept last week. If you've missed... The past two weeks, they're online. Um, that might help you catch up. Um, but we introduced a concept last week, which is inside of God's moral will, there's freedom. Inside of his moral will, there's freedom. So if you think of his moral will, or his clearly revealed will for his life, the scriptures say it's not a hidden thing. First Thessalonians 4. This is God's will, your sanctification, that your heart would be shaped like his, that you would walk away from sin and embrace holiness, embrace the character of Christ. Now, if you're inside of that will... If you have decided to obey, to follow him in there, there's freedom. In fact, last week I said there's no wrong decisions inside of his moral will. This is how laws work. This is how rules work. We looked in Genesis 2, um, where God places Adam and Eve in the garden. says, don't eat from this tree, but you are free to eat from all the other trees in the garden. As long as you're inside of his moral will. God's not going to get upset when, when they went to this tree and said, no, 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 that was a trick. I wanted you to go to this tree. No, he gave them freedom. He said, don't touch this. I know best for you. Don't touch this. But enjoy. Here's the freedom before you. This is how rules work. When you're inside the moral world, there's freedom. But the question has to be asked, how then do we make decisions? Because again, most decisions that we're faced with uh, don't fall into this. There's no biblical command for it. Uh, so what college should we go to? What job should we take? And again, I, I said last week, I think his moral will, his revealed commands for us, are more pervasive than we think. So I think if we were sitting down and had lots of time to talk, we could take two or three options and look at maybe what is actually sinful about those options. What would be contradicting his moral revealed will. But assuming that there are two decisions or three or four, however many, who are, that are inside of his moral will, how are we to make decisions? How do, we, how do we decide what college to go to? How do we decide what job to take? How do we decide where to live? How do we decide the relationships in our lives? Those kind of things. Well, the Bible is not silent on this. In fact, it gives us lots and lots of guidance about how to make decisions like this. And it all centers around this word wisdom. It all centers around wisdom. And so we're going to be in Proverbs 4. We'll start there. We'll flip around. And before we get there, I want to read to you out of Ecclesiastes 10. Um, so that you, there's these fables. There's these little tales that we tell children, right? And, and they communicate deep truths and things we want them to learn and digest and get into their minds. There's this old Jewish fable called Hokema, uh And the, he's a woodcutter, Hokema, uh, And he is in this town and it's him he's the woodcutter and then there's like this villain and they decide to have like this contest and whoever wins gets to like control the town so it's like good versus bad peace versus chaos um, and Hokma the woodcutter goes against this villain it's this again it's this children's story 
And the, the contest is they have to chop some wood. Uh, whoever can chop this same amount of piece, the same amount of wood fastest. And so they start um, this little contest, and they find real quickly that their blades are kind of dull. And so they're just yakking away, but it's not going too well. Um, and so Hokma stops hacking away with the axe. And he does what? He steps back and he sharpens it. And the villain sees he stopped and is wasting some time and just starts hacking away faster and faster and faster. Like, I got this. I'm not control of the town. But then what happens? His blade is sharp. He comes back. And he finishes it real fast. He wins in the town. It's good news for everybody. Um, it's, and so we have our own kind of American versions of, of this tale that, that being smarter sometimes is better than just blindly going after something or, or doing it as fast as possible. Um, in Ecclesiastes 10, Kohelet, the preacher, Solomon, is, is going to give us um, kind of a shorter version of that story. In, in 1010, he says, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, you can hack away that, the piece of wood all you want, or you can be smart about it. Sharpen, sharpen the axe, and you'll be able to cut it much faster. Wisdom gets success. If the serpent bites, verse 11, before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. He's saying, look, if you don't think through what you're doing, it could go bad for you. If you're going to play with a snake, you, you should charm it first. You should make sure it's kind of tame. Um, the words of a wise man, verse 12, win him favor but the lips of a fool consume him. You say that one who doesn't think about what they're saying, that, that catches up to you eventually. That's going to hinder your progress in life. But the one who's smart and strategic about what they say, that's a good thing for them. This word for wisdom in the, the Hebrew scriptures is chokmah. Say that with me, chokmah. Good job, Hebrew. Up in here. Chokmah. Um, and it has this idea of skill. Wisdom, the, this basic concept, is putting knowledge together with action. It's knowing how to do something. So not only knowing how, or, or knowing kind of how it should take place, but then actually doing it, being able to combine those two, knowledge and action. Um, now, biblical wisdom throughout the scriptures, we can define as this. Skill in the art of godly living. Skill in the art of godly living. Knowing how to live in relationship to God, to what he's revealed about himself and the world around us, and how the world works around us. Wisdom. Psalm says, with wisdom, things work better. You find success. You're more efficient. You make better decisions. Wisdom. Chokmah. J.I. Packer, uh, who um, is a great writer on, on Christian faith, has this definition of wisdom. He says, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. This is what wisdom is. It's being able to, one, see, and then be able to follow through on figuring out, deciding, reasoning what your goal is and what the best way to get to that goal is. It's working through the options. It's making a smart, a wise decision in your life. Now, the scriptures over and over and over again command us to be wise. I mean, it's, they're saturated with this. Be wise. Walk in wisdom. Get wisdom. Find wisdom. Let wisdom lead you. And so we're going to walk through this just a little bit. You're in Proverbs 4. Let me meet you there. Proverbs 4, we'll pick it up in verse 7. We'll walk through just a, a couple places here. Um, Proverbs 4, verse 7. I love this verse. Listen to it. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Thank you. 
And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. So here you have the command. Get wisdom. This is the command for Christians. Be wise. Know the goal. Know how to get there. Develop the skill and the art of living a godly life. This is the, the first step of wisdom. The very first step is this. Try to get it. I mean, go after it. The beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. Is know that you need it. Know that it's out there. Know that it's something desirable. Get wisdom. Get insights. And then he says, and if you do, if you, if you love her, if you guard her, if you prize her, she'll what? She'll protect you. She'll make things go better for you. She'll put a crown on your head. She'll, she'll put a garland on your head, a graceful garland. Get wisdom. And let her protect you. Let her lead you. Let her guide you in the decisions that you have to make. Being able to see the goal and see how to get there. Now turn to Matthew chapter 10. I want to just hit a few points in different places in the Bible. Matthew chapter 10. That's one of my favorite sayings from Jesus. Um, and I think it's something that, that maybe confuses some people. So, um, And it's a good little metaphor for us this morning. Good word picture. Chapter 10, we'll pick up in verse 16. Jesus is sending out his disciples uh, to go on mission. So up till now, they've been following him around. He's preaching the kingdom of God. That through him and his work, all of God's promises are being fulfilled. His disciples have been following him, learning from him. But now he sits them down and goes, I'm going to send you out. I'm not going to be with you anymore. You're going to go out into towns. We're going to multiply. We can reach more people this way. And you're going to go preach. You're going to go minister. And he gives them kind of this pep talk before he sends them out. He gives them the marching orders. And then listen to what he says here in chapter 10, verse 16. I love this. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So first of all, that doesn't ever end well. Um, he's saying, look, you're going out to the dark world to do the job of light. And it's, it's going to meet conflict. And he says, so be wise, listen, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. He gives us this word picture. And he, he makes the analogy to two animals that he wants us to be like. The first is the serpent. The serpent was known for being crafty. If you remember Genesis 3, right? Who tempted human beings away from following and obeying God? It was the serpent. Craftiest of all animals. He says, be, be as wise, be as smart, be as... Um, strategic as a serpent. But he says, be as innocent as a dove in regards to obedience and holiness. Without reservation, follow God. Do what is right. So this is Jesus sending out his disciples into a confusing world where they're going to encounter situations that they didn't expect. Where they're going to have to make split decisions that might influence how they minister, how the gospel goes out. I mean, this is our lives. We're sent out into the world, and we have to make decisions about jobs, we have to make decisions about money, we have to make decisions about relationships, and all of it is centered around Jesus sending us out into the world, and Jesus doesn't sit down with them and try to predict every possible situation they can encounter. He goes, look, we don't even have enough time for that. You're going to go out, all of you are going to face different things, there's going to be different conversations you have, different problems you encounter in the cities. He says, but think about this. He says, one, be innocent as doves, so obey, be pure. This is moral will. 
Don't give in to temptation. Don't become a part of the darkness. Be innocent as doves. But then he says, and wise as serpents. He says, be smart. Think through what will work best in the situations that you're in. As long as you're inside the moral will of God, be as smart as you possibly can be. Be wise. That's a good word picture for us, I think, this morning. Be, be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. Um, now flip to Colossians 4 for me. Colossians chapter 4. While you're getting there, I'll, I'll just mention, we looked at Ephesians 5, the first week of the series. It's kind of the theme verse, maybe, for the series, 5, 15 to 17. Uh, and in 5, 15, Paul commands the Ephesian believers, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, because the days are evil, making the best use of time. Don't be foolish, he says, but know what the will of the Lord is. He's saying, hey, be wise, use wisdom, think things through, and make good decisions. And then in Colossians 4, Verse 5, he says this. Walk in, what's the word? Wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. He's saying, look, we, we have this task to do with the people around us. And we have different um, places that will be, different conversations will be, and different relationships that will occur. He says, walk with wisdom. Work through what will be best in that situation. Don't waste time with those people. Don't waste time with your words. Don't waste time with the, the opportunities you get to spend time with them. Walk in wisdom towards them. Think things through. It's all throughout the scriptures. This command to be wise. This command to develop a skill in godly living. To be efficient. To think things through and, and see a goal and, and then figure out the best way to get there. I think what this means is it's thinking through what's most advantageous in any given situation. So when we come to a decision, which we do every day, maybe we come to a bigger decision like, um, what job should I take? There are certain unchanging variables. There are certain things that, that are, remain the same in that situation, in all situations. The first is God's purpose for your life. Clearly defined in scriptures. No doubt about it. You are an ambassador for Christ. If you have been redeemed, you are now sent out into the world to spread the gospel. And this is our, our mission statement here. Making disciples, making disciples. This is how we understand the scriptures, the Great Commission. You and I, both corporately and individually, are supposed to go into the world, into our families, into our workplaces, into the darkest places around us, and reproduce our faith. That I would disciple, I would make a disciple. I would find somebody and, and teach them about Christ. Invite them onto this faith walk, this faith the journey that I'm on. I would make disciples or reproduce myself. So you, you've got your purpose there. That's unchanging in this situation. Then you've also got the command to be holy. The command to be sanctified. The command to have your heart continually shaped after His. I mean, this is moral will. You have the command about what type of person you're supposed to be. And with that, each one of us has a certain past. I mean, all of us have different pasts. We have different temptations. So there are some things that tempt me that, that won't tempt you. Again, there are some things that tempt you that, that aren't going to tempt me. But in, in the situation that we're given, so what job should I take? We, we think through, we apply wisdom to that. What would be best with what we know about what God wants and about what we're aiming for in our lives. What would best help me live as a minister of reconciliation? What would best be able to facilitate my growth in Christ? 
my ability to love God and worship Him, to love the people around me? What would be best knowing what I know about myself? Knowing what I know about my temptations? So we said, I mean, there's nothing wrong with drinking in moderation. There's nothing wrong with being around people who are drinking. Um, but it might not be wise for certain people. And that's okay. There are some people who shouldn't be in that situation. Because maybe they've dealt with alcoholism for years and years and years. I mean, whatever, it's be wise. Think through what works best for you and for the purpose God has given you. Walk in wisdom. What is most advantageous in this situation that God has um, given me, this decision that I have to make? Um, but let's be clear, so everybody hear me. This is not just common sense. This is not just common sense. Um, A.W. Tozer would say this, he'd say, Biblical wisdom is sanctified common sense. It's common sense that's infused by the Spirit, that's defined by the cross. Um, biblical wisdom is completely God-centered. It's completely God-centered. The wisdom of Christ, the wisdom of the cross, often goes right in the face of the wisdom of the world. I mean, it's not just common sense. It's similar in the idea that we're using logic and we're using reasoning and we can give um, reasons and explanations, but it's different in almost every other aspect. So Paul would say in 1 Corinthians that the cross has completely turned upside down the wisdom of the world. This is the new wisdom. This is now what it means to live skillfully. And what does Jesus do? He dies. He sacrificed his life. So for a Christian, it's wise not to invest our time in ourselves and in right now, but to what? Invest treasures in heaven. Invest in eternity. But the world would say it's, it's wise to spend your energy and resources on you. I mean, enjoy what you have. The scriptures say, no, give it away. Live sacrificially. Be a blessing to other people. The wisdom of, of God and the wisdom of the world often fly in each other's faces. They defy each other. This is a God-centered wisdom. This is a wisdom that's centered around the cross. That's centered around God's revelation to us and then our response to that. It's firmly centered and motivated by the fact that you and I once were dead in our sins and now we're alive. We were once without hope and darkness, but we've been found by a marvelous light. We're saved. I mean, this is why we're worshiping. This is why we're here, hopefully. We've been saved. And despite ourselves, and despite who we are now, because we also struggle now, but in some crazy way, God loved us and saved us and sent His Son for us. And wisdom is that which would respond appropriately to that love, to that revelation, to that grace that He's shown us. And the good news is that God has made many provisions for us to receive His wisdom. This is a divine wisdom. This is a God wisdom. And he's given us lots and lots of different um, places where we can receive it. Lots of ways that he provides that to us. And so first of all, we'll run through a couple of these. Um, he tells us to ask for it. The scriptures are very clear. Um, James 1.5 would say, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously, and he will give it. And there's such a beautiful verse. If, if you're in a situation, you need wisdom. The first step is, is ask for it. Because God's like a, a parent who would just be so joyed if a child would come up to you and be like, hey, what should I do here? And the parent's like, yes, all right, I can tell you. And God's sitting up there going, just ask me. Ask me for wisdom. So this is, two things are happening here. One, it, revolves, it involves humility on our part. So we don't have the wisdom. It's not ours. And two, who does have it? It's God. Where's the source of wisdom? It's Him. It's in His cross and His 
love and his person and being and work. So we ask for it. Um, he provides it through the scriptures. He provides it through the scriptures. So notice that this is not taking place, this wisdom is not taking place outside of a personal daily walk with God, walking humbly with our Lord, Micah 6 8, praying in prayer, meditation, and then in the scriptures regularly. So Psalm 119, this love poem about um, the law, God's instructions, would say things like this. Your commandments have made me wiser than my enemies. Um, I'm smarter than my teachers. Uh, I'm, I'm wiser than the old because I have your precepts. And so what happens is as we're in the scriptures, as our eyes are being opened up to who God is, what he's doing in the world around us, what he's done in us, what we're being shaped we're being given tools to interpret, tools to reason, tools to um, make a wise decision. And the scriptures are full of actual wisdom. So, I mean, you know, there's this whole genre in our scriptures. So this whole type of literature, that's wisdom literature, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. They're just full of wisdom, full of Proverbs, full of hints. This is how you should work through life. And we have these children's tales. If the, if the iron is dull, sharpen it. And you'll be successful. And we work through the scriptures and we receive wisdom that God has given us. He provides it through godly counsel. This is a huge one. I can't emphasize this enough. Most of the good decisions that I've made in my life were not made by me. I think I can say that pretty confidently. Most of the good decisions that I made in my life were made by a team of people around me. People smarter than me and people who had been there before me. In fact, I mean, if I'm tracing things out in my life, most bad decisions were the ones made by me. This is what we would call, what I would call the sheer idiocracy of youth. That we know what's best for us. Despite people above us who have been through the exact same thing, saying, nah, it doesn't work that way. But when we're there... No, this is not going to end up biting us. This is not going to burn us. So, like, like I've always just, like, I, I want to sit certain people down and just go, um, so you're asking questions about dating, about marriage, about um, lifestyle choices, things like that. But, but again, you think you know best. But you need to realize the people giving you advice have done it before. So, I'm, I'm shocked when, if a married couple is giving advice to a younger couple who's dating or just married or things like that, like, I, I don't understand how they don't listen to that. They are married. You're not. They have literally walked through this experience. You need to listen. You do not have the ultimate source of wisdom. The scriptures are clear that, that you and I find divine wisdom through godly men and women in our lives who can give us advice. Uh, so flip to Proverbs. This will be the last place we flip. Proverbs chapter 11. The Proverbs are full of these great one-liners about getting counsel, getting advice. Proverbs 11, we'll look in verse 14 here. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. So when you don't consult anybody, it, it's probably going to go bad for you. But when you have an abundance of counselors, there's safety. Look in um, chapter 15, just one more. Verse 22. Without counsel, advice, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. 
This is basic wisdom, but it's biblical wisdom when we're making biblical decisions, trying to be skillful in the art of godly living and asking people who have that spiritual wisdom. So I think maybe we're getting advice. There's two types of people we should seek out. The first are those who can give a spiritual insight. So this is men and women who know a lot about the scriptures and who have walked closely with God for years and years. That can come to you and say, hey, think about taking this job. I'm thinking about moving here. Do you know, can you see anything that the scriptures might speak into about that decision? Maybe I'm forgetting something. Maybe I'm not fully aware of all this. But, but can you give me some spiritual advice? Can you show me some scriptures? Can you speak into my life in that way? But then there's this um, other aspect that we should all stick counts from. It's personal experience. It's people who have walked through what you're about to walk through. People who have been there, who have done that. Who have made that choice and can tell you, hey, this is what you should laugh for. This is what you should think about before you jump into that. And so I'm realizing, I, I mean, I went through my rebellious teenage years where parents know nothing. Um, but I'm starting to realize, I mean, my parents are really smart. I mean, it seems like God gave us parents for a reason. Like, it's, it's crazy. But it, so it went from my parents knew nothing to now, if I got a big decision, they're the first people I call. And it, what's crazy about family is, too, they know everything about us. So often my parents know more about me than I know. I mean, they remember things that I don't remember about myself. They will speak into my life. People who are older than us, who have walked through the things that we are looking to walk through or maybe about to walk through, should be able to speak into our life, should help us get this wisdom from making wise decisions. Lastly, he provides it through our renewed mind. Romans 12, 1-2, don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed as your mind is renewed. The scriptures are clear that you and I are called to think. We're called to think hard. We're called to think deeply. Christianity is not just an emotion religion. It's not a religion that pushes our minds to the back. We're called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. To think as best you can about life in Christ. And so we, we research. We think things through. We list out goods and bads. Um, so I... One of my favorite games to play, and I'm just realizing this week we're doing it a little bit, uh, is Would You Rather. So I don't know if you ever play this game, but the premise of it is Would You Rather do A or do B? And typically there are two options that you would not rather do, any of them, but you have to choose between one of the two. And what I'm realizing is that this is a wisdom game. I mean, because what this it forces you to think through all the implications of your choices. So you've got these two options. You don't want to do either of them, and you're going, okay, well, what would that actually look like in life? What would that entail down the future? Things like that. And, and it's just this wisdom game. It's thinking through your actions, using your mind. As we have a renewed mind, again, enlarged by the scriptures, by God, his revelation, then we use that mind. We think things through. We use logic and reason. Scriptures say, get wisdom. Prize her. Love her. Guard her. Proverbs 4. She'll protect you. She'll crown you. She'll keep your, your path smooth. Now we mentioned... In the first week, that um, some faulty ways of trying to find God's will or desire for your life are circumstances, right? Because you can read circumstances both ways. Maybe God wanted you to do that. Well, maybe it was a maybe it was Satan doing that. I mean, maybe it was something bad doing that. Maybe it was chance. Maybe it was random. Um, same with open doors or opportunities. Again, maybe God opened that door for you to walk through. What if there's a cliff on the other side though? Like, what if that's a dangerous door? It was a temptation. Two people can read something differently. Um, then you get to one of my maybe favorite parts of, of Christianity uh, is a fleece. And so I don't know if, you're, if you've grown up in church, 
So if you've been around the environment for a while, you might recognize fleece, what it means. If you haven't, I'll explain to you. In the Old Testament, there's a story about a guy named Gideon who gets a call from God to do something powerful for God's people, but he's not quite sure about it. It doesn't quite click with him. So he puts out a fleece, goes to sleep, and the idea is if it's wet in the morning, that will be God's sign to him that he should go ahead and do it. Uh, and actually it happens. He doesn't, he thinks it might be random, so he does it again. Um, and so you have this Christian whole tradition built up around laying out a fleece. And it's, it's kind of the science thing. And so, I mean, I made a joke about, I used to do this as a kid. I'd say, if I make this basket, this is God telling me. So you set out the terms in front of God and you say, okay, were well, we agreed? This is what's going to happen. Well, you're agreed, I'm agreed, let's see if it happens, you can speak to me now. This is laying out a fleece, and it's something real popular, I'm in Christian circles. Um, now, what you should notice is it's very unbiblical. In fact, in the Gideon story, it's not a model of what you should do. Gideon looks kind of like someone without faith for doing it. Like God's kind of annoyed at Gideon that he keeps doing this. Um, but here's the thing, fleeces usually work well for Christians. Here's why. I use fleeces all the time. This is something that I learned from mentors of mine. But here's why they work if they do work. It's because it's really wisdom. So there's two ways you can lay out a fleece. You can put signs out for God. One is random. So I could say if God wants me to go back to my master's next fall, uh, sometime today I will see three pigeons drop from the sky and fall on the ground dead. And so I pick just the most random sign. It's a coin flip. It's probably less than a coin flip. Or I could do wisdom in the form of a fleece. I can say, God wants me to go back to school if I have the time, based on what happens over the summer, and if I have the financial resources. Now that's, I mean, that's a sign, but really what am I doing there? I'm applying my wisdom. That's, that's wisdom disguised as a fleece. So an important point, I think um, circumstances, they can be useful. Open doors, opportunities can be useful. Fleeces can be useful as long as they're evaluated by our God-given wisdom. As long as they're filtered through wisdom. They can't be final. And I think desires would fall under this. Inner impressions. Well, I, I kind of want to go there. Is that God, is that a holy desire? Is that a sinful desire? Well, you filter that through wisdom. You filter that through the scriptures. Filter that through prayer, through godly counsel. Those things. So we'll summarize today with, when there's no biblical command, God gives us wisdom to choose. Last week it was, where there is a command, where God commands, we obey without reservation, without hesitation. We obey. We follow Him. And now when there's no biblical command, He expects us to use wisdom. Get wisdom. Use wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Think through what's the goal, what's the best way to get there. So I have wasted a lot of my life. I mean, so I'm young, but I've wasted enough time. I've wasted enough years. I've wasted enough opportunities, things like that. I'm not interested in wasting anymore. Like, I don't want to waste another day, and I don't want to waste another paycheck, and I don't want to waste my talents and my gifts, and I don't want to waste the next year, and I don't want to waste the next 10 years, the next 15 years, the next 20 years. I don't want to stand before God and have Him go, what were you doing? What were you doing? What were you, what were you buying yourself? What were you spending your time doing? I, 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 I have that, and I'm looking forward to it. So I don't want more. Let's stop that list now. Because I know this from the scriptures, that God cares very deeply, passionately about every decision that I make. And I know that I'm not a robot. That within his compass that he's given me, there's freedom to choose. But I'm expected and responsible to use wisdom. 
I have a purpose in my life. You do too. I have talents. I have gifts. I have relationships. I have circumstances. I have decisions to make. What's God's will for our lives? What's His desire for us? That we would obey Him without hesitation. We'd follow Him because He knows better than we do. That we would seek, we would find, we would pursue wisdom. What's the best way to live a godly life with all things factored in? Get wisdom, get insight, prize her, love her, and she will guard you. She'll put a crown on your head. Solomon says, hey, if the axe is dull, sharpen it. If you want success, watch what comes out of your mouth. God tells us what type of person to be. And then with our renewed minds that he's given us after his image, we think through what's the best way to get there. Trusting him, the wisdom that he gives us. Following him into the future that he has laid out for us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for our time this morning. Uh, I pray that uh, it would be used by you to further renew our minds. That it with a biblical foundation for how to make decisions and live our lives, we'd be able to please you. We'd be able to work efficiently for you that we would not find our days wasted, our years wasted, um, but we'd find us more and more and more transformed into your image that we would, um, despite ourselves, find hearts that respond to you, that love you and worship you above all else. And in lives that are lived open to the people around you, to the purpose that you've, given us here with our time. I pray for us as a church that you use us powerfully, um, that we would reach the community, that we'd make disciples. I pray that you would give us wisdom and how to do that. I pray for us as individuals, um, that we would please you and glorify you in all things that we do. We would lay down our crowns and our plans and say it's all you. Help us. We need you. We love you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the cross. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.